So let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Short and simple, but a lot to unpack in this. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 1. Every week we started with a very simplistic word. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When we talked to the wise, wise, we said, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So it only makes sense that in this writing today, Paul would continue on to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. A simple statement, but there's a lot in there. So, obedience. We talk about it all the time. You know, in fact, it's interesting that I think we need to talk about it more, not as children to parents, although that is a good thing, but for all of us in the room, no matter our age, we need to understand and talk about obedience a whole lot more than I think we do. Because I think we don't feel as adults we need to even consider that word. That's a, that's a child's term. Be obedient to your teachers, to your parents, to your coaches, etc. But we lose that word when we become adults, and I don't know why. In fact, very quickly, I was, I was putting together, back in education, I was putting together a chapel series, because that was one of my roles in one of the schools I was in, to oversee chapel and kind of help develop that program. And so we as a, as a crew were talking about a theme to kind of have some of our teachers and administrators speak to. And almost immediately I spoke up and said, what about talking about obedience? And one of the other gentlemen in the room, who I highly respect, even still to this day, looked at me and said, no, I don't know where we'd go with that. I said, okay, <laughs> let's move on. Let's figure something else out. But I'm like, well, no, we, we have to. We have to speak to it. It's important. It's not an elementary term. But kids, obey your parents. It's an act of submission that comes by listening. An act of submission that comes by listening. It doesn't say, hear what your parents say, and then make a determination if you want to follow that rule or not. It's not what it says. Just like we as adults cannot listen to those in authority over us and then decide, hmm, I don't think I want to follow that rule today. I think I'm going to go ahead and roll through that stop sign and that red light today because I just don't feel like being obedient. We can get a lot of feelings and emotions wrapped up in what we feel in the moment. But note that parents, kids, I'm talking to you, note that parents is plural. Both parents, mom and dad. In this scenario, you are to submit to. See, in those little tiny things, like one letter is so important. It says, obey your parents in the Lord. So likewise, as we've talked about in the rest of the series, children are to obey their parents as they are obedient to Jesus Christ. Now, for husbands and wives, that may make more sense because we might look at our kids, especially the young ones, and go, they don't know what it means to follow the Lord yet. They, haven't, they aren't at that age of accountability to make that decision yet, or whatever it might be. But we can't just assume that about them. So kids, I'm telling you now, as you grow up, you're going to be at an age where you have to follow the Lord. You have to be obedient to Christ above all. You can't be reliant and dependent upon mom and dad to tell you everything that you need to do in life. There's going to come a time when that chain, that invisible umbilical cord that is still connected and always will be according to your parents, will be cut at some point and you will be required to live your life in obedience to those in authority over you, especially Jesus and his word. So what you learn right now about being obedient to your parents in the Lord through your parents, you're getting an idea of what it's going to be like to follow Jesus later on in life because he will speak to you. He will give you things to do. And we need to listen and then obey. Amen. So mom and dad, did that hit you? 
It should have, because that's the responsibility you have to model Christ for them so they know what it's like to follow Jesus later on. So how are you modeling? Dads, we talked about last week as husbands and fathers, you need to be a mirror to Jesus, to your kids. Always. Because you're the one that's leaving the impression of what it is to follow Christ, our Heavenly Father, later on for these kids. So in the Lord, so kids, if at any time mom and dad tell you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, do you obey? I know you don't want to say it, but the answer is no. (laughs) But right now, if you don't know the word of God fully, which we all don't, we all have a lifelong journey to really know the word of God. But if you feel that mom and dad are telling you to do something that is contrary to to what god's word says you ask the question you find out and that may be a little intimidating right now but that's what we all need to do so if we don't establish that habit now as children are we going to do that later on in life when we question something going on in society whether it it, do i have to obey this rule or law is this really in the word of god god what are you saying We immediately go to God's word. We need to develop that habit now to open the word and find out for ourselves. So obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, your mom and dad might say often, when they tell you to do something, you respond with, why do I have to do this? Mom and dad, what's your response? Because I say so. Now, what you're telling the children more often than not is because what I told you to do, I know is right for the household, for me and for you. You may not see it yet, but this is going to be a betterment to your life later on. So obey the rule. But oftentimes, I think as parents, we fall short in that full explanation, don't we? We just say, no, you just need to do it because I said so. So who, where is the authority then placed in that family dynamic? On you, not on the Lord. And that's another challenge for our parents is that when we tell our kids to do things because we know it's good for them, we need to also explain the why. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But it says, for this is right. It's just righteous. It's proper. According to God. It falls in line with what God wants for your life. If it's right to obey your parents because God said so, because that falls in line with who he is, because God is right, therefore, obedience is right. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9 tells us, says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. When we decide, I don't need to follow Jesus, I don't need to listen to his word, because I want to do what I want to do, there's another famous passage of scripture that says, pride comes before the fall. When you say, I'm going to live my life how I want, kids or adults, that's what happens. But you walk in the Lord, you keep in step with the Spirit, and that's right, righteous, proper, according to who God is. Jesus is your example. We've said that for the past few weeks. Husbands, Christ is your example as to how to lead. Wives, Christ is your example in how to submit. Children, Christ is your example in what it means to be obedient. We see that again in Philippians chapter 2 that tells us that he was obedient. He took the form of flesh and was obedient to his heavenly father. It uses that same word, obedient, to the point of death on a cross. And we also see it in his prayer that we mentioned, I think, last week or a couple weeks ago, when he was praying to his father right before his arrest and trial and crucifixion, saying, Heavenly Father, again, submitting to his father, saying, if there's anything that we can do to let this cup pass from me, if we can do it any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. So if you find that this is right, this is the only way, then so be it. Kids, that's what we need to say oftentimes to mom and dad. I don't understand. I don't get it. 
but I'm going to submit and trust that you know what you're talking about. Don't say that to mom and dad. But you understand that this is right because mom and dad say it's right, therefore God says it's right. Then not my will, but yours be done. I'm not going to live my life my way, but I'm going to be obedient in this task right now. It's the right thing to do. Kids, don't answer, or you'll have to answer when you get home. But how many times have your parents told you to do something that you didn't want to do? Parents, wipe the smirks off your face, because I, I, you know the answer. Because most of you are saying all the time. But how often, kids, do your parents ask you to do something that you don't want to do? From the simple things like do your chores, take out the trash, clean up your room, maybe to greater things, do, you know, whatever it might be in, in your household. But do you allow those feelings to dictate what you do? Sometimes, yes. But how should we respond? Sometimes we don't understand why we are told to do the things we do. But that's exactly what faith and trust is. Because when you become an adult, God is going to take you on a journey that sometimes, and more often than not, you don't understand where he's taking you or why. Let me give you one quick example. Kids, how many know the story of Jonah? You know the story of Jonah? Right? God told him to go somewhere. Go to a city. Because God wanted Jonah to preach the gospel and, and, and provide salvation for those people in Nineveh. And Jonah, with all due respect, kids, like a little five-year-old child, sat on the ground and pouted and said, No, I don't want to. That's a paraphrase of scripture, but I imagine he said something like that. He didn't want to and became disobedient to the point of trying to run away from God got on a boat, went another direction. But God still said, I know where you're at. I'm still going to use you. And he ended up doing so. Not with a lot of, without some discipline first, but he still used him. Even though in the very end, Jonah chapter 4, he still sat on that hill, crisscross applesauce, frown on his face, pouting, because God saved people through him. You think he would be happy about that, but he wasn't. So sometimes God calls us to do things we don't want to do. Look at his own son, called his own son to sacrifice his life for other people. So sometimes your parents are going to ask you to do things because it might be a benefit to somebody else and not you. We have to be the example Christ needs us to be. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's actually a word from the Old Testament. It comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So interestingly enough, if it's one of the Ten Commandments... And yet Paul is using it to speak to us today. It means we can't separate Old Testament law from the new covenant we have in Christ. One of those Ten Commandments, if it's a command, it's something that you are supposed to do, you ought to do, you should do, you will do, or God will find a way to get you to do it. Even if he needs to have a fish swallow you for a few days. But it is a command to honor your father and your mother. What does it mean to honor? Have you thought about that? Maybe a term we don't use a lot in our culture. To honor somebody means to give them respect, to hold them in high regard. But in this regard, when we talked about obedience and now we talk about honor, honoring your parents is having the right attitude towards them because of who they are and having the right action of obedience that goes with that attitude. You rightly honor them by your attitude while rightly obeying them. 
Remember, this is not just good advice. This is a command. Think about some of the other commandments. Kids, you know the other commandments? Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. I mean, there's a lot of these commandments, right, that we think, oh, the big ones, of course I wouldn't murder somebody. But when it comes to honoring mom and dad and obeying them, you go, hmm, I'll, I'll consider that one maybe another time because I don't feel like it right now. See, we can't separate that command in the same vein as not murdering somebody, honoring your father and mother. They're right there. In fact, honoring your father and mother comes before the others in the list. It's important. It's a command. It's not just advice. So now I want to talk to everybody. Moms and dads, kids. There's three things we want to focus some time and attention on right now. I know there's a lot more in society, but there's three things that we need to be aware of. That as parents, we need to guard and protect and help our children navigate as they grow up and walk through this world that we live in today. They may seem simplistic, but <laughs> you might look at this list and go, doy. But let's look at it really quick because it's, it bears repeating for how important it is. So number one, we live in a fallen, sinful world. Doy. <laughs> no duh. I know that's not very deep, but it's something we need to understand because I think sometimes we get so wrapped up and caught up in the routine of life, we forget how dark and depraved and fallen and sinful this world is. We live in a fallen, sinful world. And that goes back to what? Adam's original sin. Remember, it was Eve, his wife, who was deceived and ate the fruit but who was given the blame for bringing sin into the world? Adam. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We live in a sinful world. When those children are born, I mean, I don't want to ruin the beauty of birth, the miracle of birth. But when that child is born, the first second, that is a depraved, wretched sinner. I know children are beautiful. And I don't want to take that away. But that's who they are. And so we need to help them understand that without Christ, you continue to live that way. And that's why sometimes our kids, our youth, don't see a difference in their lives from the rest of the world. Because they have not been taught what it is to be right and pure before God. We need to teach them that. Raise your hand if you've had to teach your child how to disobey. Nobody. Good. Then you all understand the kids are sinful. We're all sinful. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is free from that. It's our nature. In fact, I came across this and it made me laugh, but it's, it's so true and scary. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. This is the first time I've come across this. Back in 1926, Minnesota was doing, uh, put together a commission to figure out why crime was on the rise. And you think about the 1920s, if you know your history, you know the era all across the United States. There was prohibition, and we were living the high life of the roaring 20s, but crime was starting to go through the roof. Organized crime and the like. And so the Minnesota Crime Commission of 1926, now this statement is attributed to that. I couldn't find it in the report, but I wasn't reading very carefully. I was just skimming through to see if I could find it. But most people will say it's attributed that this statement came from this report on crime in Minnesota specifically, but throughout the United States, listen to what they say. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, 
his uncle's watch or whatever. Deny him those, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. Sad, but true. So this crime commission recognized the sinful humanity that exists. And it's true. So we as parents have to teach obedience, teach honor, teach respect, teach righteousness. Because without it, we have doomed our children. It is up to us to give them a perspective of who Christ is in a dark, fallen world. With me on that? We live in a fallen world, so it's up to us as mom and dad to teach them what it is to be light. When Christ said, you are light and salt in this world, we need to teach them, instill that in them. By our words only, mom and dad? No. More often than not, it's by our actions, how we model that for them. This is the reason Jesus told us we need to be born again. Because when we're born in the flesh, we're born dark, wretched, sinful. That's who we are. So we need to be born again by the Spirit. Because when we're born again by the Spirit, Christ said in John 3, 3, excuse me, <coughs> it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and it oftentimes doesn't make sense to us. What does it mean to be born again? Why? So he explains. This is why I love context when it comes to Scripture. Because we know John 3.16, but do we know John 3.17 and 18? This clarifies what we're talking about right now. Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But it goes on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but, listen, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because we're born condemned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All you have to do is let your child breathe, and he is a sinner destined for hell. I don't even want to apologize for saying that, because that's the reality of all of us. But Christ came so that we could be saved. That's what it is to be born again. Point number two. We live in a fallen world, and we need to be aware and guard against the deceptive schemes that tear the family apart. There is so much deception by the enemy in this day and age. And I'm sure for those of you that are a little bit older and wiser, you saw it in your era. I know everybody says, let's go back to a world where it was the leave it to beaver world. But even then, I'm sure you grew up in that era, you could see the deception and the, the atrocity and just the schemes of the devil that were playing on people, tantalizing them to do everything they could to move away from Christ and tear the family apart. Let us not forget what it were told in 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires, of the, uh, excuse me, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Every sin in the world can be lumped into those three categories. Every sin. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever we need to be aware of the deceptiveness people say the original sin was deception no the enemy used deception and it was adam and eve who sinned 
So there's going to be a lot of things placed before us as the enemy put before pride and purity and perfection before Adam and Eve, he's going to lay before us. And I know you've seen it already, probably this morning. You've been tempted by something. And it's up to us to respond properly to those temptations. Satan's goal is to disrupt and destroy the family. And we read that in Scripture, John 10.10. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. So your family, your marriage is absolutely 100% under attack. So you have to guard against it. And even so much more for your children that may not see what those deceptions and schemes are. So he steals your children's spiritual vision by seducing them with flattery and self-centered pleasures at every age. It's seduction, isn't it? To place things before them that would cause them to look at it and go, I want that and I don't want God. In fact, there isn't a whole lot of seduction and, and scheming that really needs to take place because if we're born sinful, all we need to do is be attracted to what we know and what we know is sin. What we know is, is all this junk that's in this world. So it's up to us to wrap our arms around our children and our own hearts and guide away towards the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We think, well, my, my, my children are going the way of the world. Stop saying that. That's not a proper phrase. That means they're choosing the world. No, they're sinful. They are in the world. It's who they are. It's not a conscious choice. You say that because it might make you feel better about what you've not done to guide your children to Jesus Christ. And I know that's a strong word, but it's one we need to take so seriously today. What are we doing to speak life into our children and guide them in the way towards Christ? If they're choosing the world, that means you've given them the proper choice of Christ. So think about it that way. Let me encourage you that way. Because as parents, we're going to guide our children to that fork in the road. They will have to choose Christ or the world, life or death. But we have to at least give them and present to them the option, the choice, and make it so apparent why life in Christ is the right way. He will steal, or excuse me, he will kill their opportunity to live by the Spirit by seducing the world to devalue their life. That's what the enemy does. He devalues their life, their importance as to who they are. By presenting to the world an opportunity to even kill them before they take their first breath. Not just killing them spiritually, but killing them physically is what this world is allowed to happen. But he also kills joy. He kills hope. He kills purpose. He kills purity. So we have responsibility, parents. You know what the second leading cause of youth death in the United States is today? Number one I'll give you is accident. By accident. By choices or whatever else, just by accident. That's the number one leading cause of death amongst youth between the ages of 10 and 24. You know what number two is? Suicide. And that has increased by 47% since 2008. That's through 2018. Imagine what those numbers might be now at the last couple years. Because our kids don't see value in their life. Why not? Because the enemy is allowed to infiltrate their life. So much so through various ways to deceive them, to speak lies into their head that death is better than continuing on in this world. It's sad. Satan destroys the family unit by presenting sin of selfishness that split families apart. Even within the Christian church, we've talked about it, the divorce rate within the church is just about as 
high as outside the church. He kills, he steals, and he destroys. We need to be on guard. As parents, we need to help. We need to battle for our kids. Their lives are at stake. And number three, we need to be aware of the immense battle between human philosophy and biblical wisdom. So the responsibility on parents is to present biblical wisdom. Because otherwise, they don't need to choose human philosophy. It's how we're born. I can't say that enough. But human philosophy versus biblical wisdom. Humanism, I know a word we don't often use, is on the rise. It is a belief system today. Google it. There is something called, and I'm not kidding, the American Humanist Association. You know what their motto is? Good without a God. That's their motto. Because we don't need God. We're good enough. Do you see the slight difference? Just be a good person. What's wrong with that? It's good advice. Be a good person. Live how you want to live, but just be good. But what's the standard? Your standard is you, which says, as a humanist, I'm going to elevate myself to be my own God to determine what I believe is good, whether it agrees with other people or not. That's what humanism is. Ism in any word is the belief in. You guys know that? So any ism is belief in whatever precedes it. So the belief in humanity. Ouch. See how dangerous that is? They say, be good. Do what's good for you. Achieve what you want to achieve. Just be a good person. You don't need religion. You don't need a God to tell you what's right or wrong. And I think scripture makes this very clear. Psalm 14, verse 3. There is none who does good, not even one. <laughs> and Jesus would repeat those words. We read it in Mark 10, 18. No one is good except God alone. So you see the battle. The world says, be good according to your own way. What you believe is right. Elevate yourself. You are your own God. And God is saying, there's nobody that's good. For all have sinned. We're all sinners. We're all not good enough to live this life on our own. But we as parents need to make that relevant and understandable to our kids. To show them the life of righteousness in Christ and what that means. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs is amazing. We're talking about wisdom, instruction, all that. Go to Proverbs. It's a beautiful book. But in chapter 1, it just it lays out the whole purpose of the book. Starting in verse 2, it says, To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The fear of the Lord, if we jump down to verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we are taught, no matter as children or as adults, to continue to pursue wise guidance and instruction from God's Word. And kids, sometimes you need to understand that's going to come through mom and dad. It needs to. It must. Verse 4. Now we talk to parents specifically. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't forget what God's word tells us about our children. Are they little savages? Yes, they are. But what does God's word tell us? They are a heritage from the Lord. They are a gift to us from God. That's Psalm 127, verse 3. But who is instructed in this situation? 
Who is he speaking to right now in verse 4? Fathers. Ladies, wives, I'm not leaving you out. But there's a reason he speaks to the fathers in this instance. Because we talked about last week, who is to lead the home in the ways of Jesus Christ? Dad, fathers, husbands. Don't forget what we're instructed in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I would say this should be emblazoned spiritually, emotionally, or maybe even visually in everybody's home. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's why I say maybe even visually the word of God needs to be in your home, on your lips, spoken about between you and your children. All the time. Didn't it say that? All the time? When you lie down and when you rise, it's a challenge for all of us that God's word needs to be so much on our heart there's nothing we can do but end our day with it and begin the next day with it and every time in between. But dads, understand that verse 4 takes into account that your children have feelings. Don't forget that. It says don't provoke them to anger. So Paul in his words is, is recognizing that children have feelings. Now this is a revolutionary thought 2,000 years ago. Because children had no rights, no purpose, no value in a patriarchal society when this was written. So this was revolutionary for dads to consider the feelings of their children. But all the more today. So what kind of parenting would provoke anger? Now, you know yourself better than anybody. I'm going to stand here right now and admit something to you all. I failed in that this week. Shocking, right? When you're doing a message on parenting and children, you fail. I won't go into the details, but I failed. Big time. Because I allowed my voice, the strength of what I wanted to get across, come across unreservedly. And it was wrong. So this is why we need to be prepared all the time. Because dads, we can hurt our children. And it can scar them for a long time. So does that mean you need to be a weak, soft-spoken little angel? No. No. But there is strength in meekness. Not weakness, meekness. Listen to what somebody said. Her name was Ruth Paxson. She was an old-time missionary and author. But listen to these words. I'm going to emphasize for you. She says in regards to parenting, do not irritate or exasperate or discourage by unreasonable demands, by unnecessary interference, by irritable nagging, by perpetual fault-finding, by harsh criticism, by unceasing don'ts, by a dictatorial manner, by unjust commands. You hear those words? Now, I'm not trying to flip it and say that's wrong. It's absolutely right. But listen, what we ascertain from that is this, that there is room for reasonable demands, necessary interference, agreeable or cordial nagging. That exists. That's a thing. Because sometimes we have to. Parents, you understand. Momentary fault-finding. Because when our children sin, are you just going to 
turn a blind eye? No, you don't look for the faults. You don't call them out and hold that against them. But there will be times when you need to speak to the fault and sin of your children. There is gentle criticism. There is room for occasional don'ts by a humble, meek manner, by just, righteous commands according to God's word. So those things absolutely are necessary. But we need to do them in light of God's word and who we are, not by the emotions or feelings we have in the moment because we need to get our point across. Our position is to help them grow to know the Lord in his word, to introduce them to who is good, just, wise, and right. Verse 4 says, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So as we talked to husbands and dads last week, we are to be the example of Jesus to our wives and our children. So listen, if you're not in a position to reflect Jesus, you do not relinquish the authority granted to you in this verse. You hear me? Well, I'm not there. I can't be Jesus, so I'm just not going to do it. No. Then you need to get your butt in gear, get into the Word, make yourself right before Christ, and then do what you've been called to do. As fathers, as husbands, as men in this society, you don't relinquish what God has told you to do. That's weakness. We don't do that. But what do we mean by discipline and instruction? And here's where I failed this week. I focused on the discipline and forgot the instruction. Let me your ears just for a minute. Let's read through Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. I just want, it'll be up on the screen behind me, but I want you to hear the words. Because we often forget that scripture speaks to discipline in the right way proper way starting in verse 5 of hebrews 12 it says and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives it is for discipline that you have to endure god is treating you as sons For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it proper discipline discipline is necessary our sinful nature needs discipline otherwise when we have this laissez-faire do as you want you'll learn in time mentality we have destined our children to death to thrown them into the deep end of this dark world to say you'll survive maybe we can't do that discipline is necessary but instruction has to go with it If you just discipline and don't instruct, all you're doing is instilling in your child your authoritative, dictatorial mindset that you need to obey me without instruction will cause resentment and anger and hostility in their heart towards you and eventually towards their Heavenly Father because of your example. We need to instruct as to why the discipline occurs. And imagine this, 
in 2 Timothy, we're told the why. What is the Word of God? It is a source of discipline for our life. What does it say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, but listen, for reproof and for correction. That's discipline. The Word of God disciplines us. Not harshly, but gently by a loving Father who says, I want you to live in me, for me, in the right way. Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We talked about that, the rod of correction. Sometimes that little whap on the backside to get us back on course. But it's to protect, to keep in line with where we need to be. Because that's why the rest of the psalm is not just a disciplinary psalm. It talks about laying beside cool waters. Our Heavenly Father, our host, setting a table in the presence of our enemies so we can dine with Him and be with Him in a loving way. But that correction needs to happen. Proverbs 13, 24. Maybe a lot of parents already have this one memorized. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So kids, I hope you have not tuned out that discipline is necessary for your life. If you are an athlete and your coach makes you run laps, that's discipline. To get your mind right and where you need to be. You didn't follow the rules, there's discipline. Same thing in the family. Rules exist for a reason to keep us on track. And if your parents are instilling the right rules in your life that are according to God's word, it is corrective discipline to put you right back in step with your heavenly father. It's a good thing. Discipline now so they have an understanding of the obedience needed later to walk with the Lord. Kids, obey your parents now so you have an understanding of what it means to obey Christ later on. It's necessary. So I know in, what has it been, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, it's hard to address all of parenting and children and family and marriage in just 40 minutes or let alone just four weeks. But I pray that God has spoken to you in some way in these last four weeks. And if not, this is why we post everything online. Watch them again. Go, the notes are there for you. Use them. Or do your own study. <laughs> Get into the Word on your own. But it's absolutely necessary. So let me leave you with a couple pieces of advice. Not necessarily from anybody famous, because that doesn't matter. What matters are the words spoken. So listen to this. One mom's advice. This is a mom who birthed 17 children. 17. It's a lot. This is what she had to say. The parent who studies to subdue the self-will in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving a soul. The parent who indulges it does the devil's work making religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that is in him, excuse me, and does all that in him lies to damn his child, soul, and body forever. You know what mom, who mom, whose mom that was? You familiar with Charles and John Wesley? Famous theologians? That was their mom. <laughs> But you never hear about Susanna Wesley, do you? Yes, you do. That is the influence of a mom or a dad in the life of a child and what they are to do for Christ later on. So John and Charles Wesley, amazing men of God, theologian, evangelist, hymn writer, songwriters for the Lord. A lot of the old-timey hymns, Hundreds of them written by Charles Wesley. 
His brother John created essentially the, the Methodist movement and church. Amazing men of God. But because they had parents that raised them in the Lord. Somebody else by the name of Dwight Hervey Small said, The family on earth ought to mirror in every way the family above. Don't discount the heavenly father, God's only son. There is a family unit that exists in heaven. The family on earth ought to mirror in every way the family above. The love and security the Christian experiences in Christ must extend to every relation in the earthly family life. There is no higher privilege than to be a Christian parent. So whatever changes need to be made, whatever you need to do, make it happen. And happen now. You think, well, we've gone too far. Can't make the change now. No, you absolutely can. If it needs to be done, you make the change now. And how your family, how your marriage is going to be centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. If, there, if you've heard anything in the last four weeks, it's that. And I promise you I'm going to end with this. I want you to listen to the Word of God. This is what we've talked about the last four weeks. comes down to these statements. Ephesians 4 says, Walk in a manner worthy of your call with humility, gentleness, patience, and love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Christ at the center. Ephesians 5.1, Imitate God and walk in love as Christ loved us. Christ at the center. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. God in the middle. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.32, this mystery about marriage is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Ephesians 6.1, what do we read today? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And in verse 4, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Everything about marriage and family, husbands and wives and children and parenting is of the Lord. Christ in the center of it all. And all that you do, all that you say, all that you model has to be Christ and His Word.